the National Assessment of Educational Progress uh, is has this new testing that shows that nine-year-olds lost ground in both math and reading in pretty dramatic ways as a result of the pandemic. What is the president going to do about it? What is the administration going to do about this severe learning loss? So let's step back to where we were uh, not too long ago when this president walked into this administration. In less than six months, uh, our schools went from 46% uh, to, to open to nearly all of them being open to full time. That was the work of this president. And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Linda Stein is out taking some well-deserved vacay time. But we are talking about education, which many political insiders believe could be one of the unsung and unseen forces in the upcoming uh, November elections, particularly in the suburbs of Philadelphia, where you have a lot of families very concerned about their schools, very frustrated with the school policies during COVID-19. We just had the National Assessment of Educational Progress tests come out, NEEP, for 2022, and the results have been described as a disaster, as a calamity. The actual number, the average nine-year-old, their scores on the assessment test declined the most on record in math by seven points in a single test and the most on reading since 1995 points. And the results were even worse for lower income and uh, students of color. Math scores fell by uh, 13 points for black students and eight points for Hispanic students. And some uh, people who are trying to get more Republicans elected argue that this is one of the reasons why Republicans have seen more support coming particularly from Hispanic Americans is because you have a lot of uh, Hispanic families who really want their kids to get a leg up, maybe their first or second generation Americans. And they look at education in the doorway and they, what they saw in the schools was not the American education system that they dreamed of. And then uh, you heard that audio at the beginning of the podcast with the white house spokesperson trying to convince people that it was the Biden administration and its allies, and let's face it, the head of the teachers union, Randy Weingarten, is a very, very close ally of the Biden administration, that they were the ones who were trying to get schools open, and it was those evil Republicans who were trying to keep schools closed. Uh, that's a, an argument that doesn't withstand a lot of scrutiny. In fact, the Democratic National Committee ran ads during the Trump years, complaining that Trump was trying to force kids back into schools too soon. And I just don't know how well you're going to make the case, particularly in Delaware, Bucks, Chester, and Montgomery counties, that it was the Republicans who were trying to you know, keep teachers locked in and keep the Zoom school going. And Democrats were pounding on the doors, demanding reopen schools, get our kids in these classrooms. I mean, it's it's an interesting take. And so that's why some people say, hmm, if the White House sees that being on the side of extensive school closings, masking, et cetera, is a political loser, they may be on to something. That's the question we posed to Kerry Rodriguez, the president of the National Parents Union. So could it be that the most powerful force in politics in 2022 turns out not to be money, not to be advertising, not even to be Twitter, as shocking as that might be to some of us political junkies, it might be parents? Carrie Rodriguez is the president of the National Parents Union. She is also Matthew Miles and David's David's mom. Uh, Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me. 
So uh, I've been following your work. Uh, we have for a while and this kind of the rise of uh, where, where parents are. What would you say to people who are asking about the role parents are likely to play when election day rolls around in November? Well, I think the pandemic has awakened the great silent majority, and they shouldn't be surprised by what they're seeing right now. Uh, we saw a catastrophic failure of literally every governmental system in America during the pandemic. And frankly, uh, it's not something that we can turn away from, and it's something that we're not seeing, uh, you know, our politicians, our elected officials, the, the people we put in charge, addressing with enough urgency. So when you're a mama and you see things falling apart, you're not just going to stand by and, and kind of accept the, the new status quo as being a hot mess for your kids. So if you are surprised by the rise of mothers and fathers across this country getting involved in you know, civic engagement, what's happening in our, our public education system, what's right. happening with our economy, you're crazy. Um, so as we're speaking, there was just a uh, big uh, election down in Sarasota, Florida, where a school board was kind of flipped from, I think it was four to one. I, I don't want you know, parents' rights. I mean, it's hard to use. I, I'm not trying to be provocative with the language. Basically, people who are very happy with the and, and uh, the current system, that was it. It was three to two. Now it's flipped to four to one uh, with more, some people would say, parental friendly. Uh, the Spokesperson for Governor DeSantis describes him as the anti-wokes. Uh, are, are elections like this, are you seeing elections like this around the country at the school board level? We are, but I, I think that the conversation in some spaces has kind of drifted into the culture war CRT right. kind of sector of things. And it's not necessarily that. It's really about the, the priorities of parents, because yes, you see it in Sarasota, you see it in other uh, red or conservative pockets, but you also see it in San Francisco, mm -hmm. you know, where there was right. a recall effort, uh, a member of our organization, the San Francisco Parents Coalition recalled three board members, not based on any of the CRT stuff you're talking about or book banning or any of that, but based on the fact that we have folks who are in these positions of power who are supposed to have a fiduciary responsibility over right. our schools and watching them um, that aren't, you know, taking the guidance of public health officials and reopening schools in a timely manner because they're instead uh, being swayed by by folks who have political control over them and have a vested interest in, in advancing their political agenda during a moment of challenge. Right. So parents are taking a look at this and saying, if you don't have the best interests of our children, and you are telling us that that we as parents who have the most skin in, in the game, because it's our children who are in the system, <laughs> you don't even want to hear from us. And you're making decisions based on politics instead of science, instead of what we know is best for our kids, then we're going to get you out. And I don't know why any elected official who is going to their constituents in this day and age, in 2022, and saying, I don't need to hear from my constituents. I'm right. going to make my own decision based on I, I don't know what the teachers union tells me is, is my marching orders. And they're surprised <laughs> that their constituents organize and rise up constituents. We being the right. parents and, and tell them, well, you know what, if you're not going to listen to us, we will replace you. Um, you're, you're out of your mind. Like that's literally <laughs> politics. Why'd you get in this game? Exactly. No, exa and they, it is fascinating how many people don't understand that that's the premise of politics. The premise of politics isn't I'm just so good that I should just have this job because I know I'm so good. It's, Hey, 
we put you in that job. And if the voters don't think you're good, no matter how wonderful you might think you are, you don't get to keep the job. And speaking of people who thought they were wonderful at the job, uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci just announced that he's going to be uh, retiring earlier than he originally planned. And he said in an interview recently, when asked about the impact of the policy approaches that he advanced regarding lockdowns, mandatory masks, masks for children in the preschool level, et cetera, about the uh, irreparable harm. And he said, quote, I don't think it's irreparably damaged anyone. And he does not think that he went too far. What do the folks who support your group think about that view? Well, you know, it, it, it's hard to say, you know, and pin down irreparable harm. I think we're, we're actually going and veering into the territory of irreparable harm because, yes, we have had a great disruption and we have been presented a great challenge. Where we are veering into irreparable harm is the fact that we are not acknowledging the fact that learning losses happen. Our kids have been right. through a lot. Um, frankly, organizations like mine fought to get hundreds of billions of dollars down to school districts <laughs> to address these challenges. Yeah. The irreparable harm comes in when we just choose to ignore the fact that we're in this great challenge and then just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know what, you know, we're, we're just going to give you a pass on this mm -hmm. and we're, we're not going to challenge you anymore. And we're not going to, to, to try to get you back up to reading on grade level. And, you know, we're just going to, you know, we're going to feel sorry for you instead of trying to say like, all hands on deck. Right. We as adults need to address the situation with urgency. And that's not what we're seeing. So when you see parents, even like we're, we're getting into the third year, you know, mm -hmm. when, when things should be back to normal. I mean, this school year, we should see kids in for a full 180 days back to normal, you know, come hell or high water kids right. seats. And we're still fumbling around trying to figure out like how to get the ship back, you know, steering in the right direction. Exactly. That's where the irreparable harm comes in. Because if we, again, take another year to say, oh my gosh, we don't know what to do. That is when we're going to have generational harm happening. We're going to lose an entire generation of kids. Right. So I disagree with him that, you know, we certainly have the opportunity if we were to address all of this with urgency, spend this money the right way, making sure that it actually hits kids in the classroom. I just don't have faith that we're going to do that unless parents really make sure that we are watchdog in this stuff to make sure they're making the right decisions. Because I don't have faith that they'll do it on their own. Right. And the National Parents Union sent out a statement at the beginning of August, essentially putting the school uh, officials around the country on alert that you need to commit to a safe return to school, no excuses for learning disruptions. What's been the response to this kind of tough line that your group has drawn? Well, I'm going to tell you why we did that, right? Because the, from the beginning of the pandemic, we have been issuing our parent bill of rights um, saying like, no nonsense. This is what we want to see in a return to school. Here's how we want you to spend money. Here's how we want you to prioritize health and safety. Number one, getting our kids back into the classroom so we don't have a continual mental health crisis going on here so we can catch up on learning. But uh, again, we have a, a Department of Education right now that is not talking to the Department of Health and Human Services, not talking mm -hmm. to the, the, the Surgeon General. Everybody knows that we'll likely have another surge coming up in fall and winter. Like BA5 is going to come back through. We'll probably have another COVID surge. We should be prepared with how to deal with this. Right. So that we don't lose any time. We have, we again, sent billions of dollars down to school districts to make sure we have good COVID-19 mitigation strategies. Yet we saw 
you know, even just, you know, during the last holiday season, people saying, oh, who could have predicted that we would have a COVID surge? Well, everybody could have predicted it, which is why we should have sent home tests and kids' backpacks. Right. You know, we should have had strategies. So what we said to them this year is, listen, your folks in health and human services, the, the Surgeon General, everybody's saying that we're going to have a surge of COVID that's mm. going to take out some teachers, going to take out some kids, going to make right. things difficult. Plan now. Don't come to us after the fact where you're playing defense once again, saying, oh, who could have known we had a surge? <laughs> We're telling you right now. Right. If you, don't, if you don't plan, then you're planning to fail. But Carrie, you know, but Carrie, you know, some parents say planning now means doing what the Newark, New Jersey public school system, which is, is currently saying, which is they're going to mandate masks when schools return, kids return to school September 6th. So that's what, that's what plenty of people in the, school system would say is just sure we got a plan the plan is mandatory masking and other uh you know uh, rules from the covid pandemic when it first struck well i don't think that we can have blanket rules when it comes to keeping kids safe from covid given the community spread so people and and the data backs this up michael parents trust public health officials to make those calls so if it's a superintendent saying we're just going to mask everybody because we think that's a right. catch like that's not going to work for parents. If you have public health officials and, and, and folks that, that actually are doctors and scientists saying like, we need to do masking, here's what the science tells us, parents are going to be much, they're going to be on board. But universally just saying like, let's just throw a mask on everybody and hope for the best. That's not a COVID-19 mitigation strategy. Do your I members have concerns about the impacts of masks? I know a lot of parents and I've also seen, obviously there's a lot of data showing that, uh, particularly young children just don't need them. That just doesn't make any difference. And then you hear the anecdotal evidence of, you know, I've, I have uh, nieces and nephews who are very young and the mom is going crazy because one of them already had some developmental issues with language. And now she feels like she's lost two years on someone who couldn't use it. How do your members feel about these issues? Well, th there is, there are deep concerns. And again, it's about following the science. And when scientists tell us that, you know, younger children do not need to be masked, it's literally not helpful in any way. And actually, is harmful for de de developmental issues. Mm -hmm. Obviously, again, we're pro-science. The science says don't put masks on, on kids that are two to five years old. It doesn't even make sense. It, <laughs> we should be doing it. But again, our members have deep concerns about that because of developmental issues, because of literacy issues, um, which, which are of critical concern to parents right now because we have a literacy crisis going on because we've lost two and a half years of learning here and our kids were already right. behind before the pandemic. Um, in addition to social interaction, a lot of the fear factor, mental health issues that go along with the, the fear factor around masks and whatnot. So yes, it continues to be a concern. If doctors tell us that this is necessary, parents are going to follow the, the advice of doctors and pediatricians. That's who they trust. But doctors are not telling us that. These are, are again, people who are not doctors right. or epidemiologists. They're school officials and administrators that are just kind of throwing it up in the air and say, well, that seems like a good idea. It seems like I know what I'm doing. If I, if mm -hmm. I put down a mandate about masks, that's, that's not going to cut it. Well, I see, this is where you have dispute, you have dispute over science because you're looking at the science that's you know, massive amounts of data that have been gathered across Europe and across the United States showing that particularly young children, for whatever reason, are not impacted by this virus. Thank God. As opposed to Anthony Fauci, who says, quote, I represent science, close quote. And that's all the science you need. You don't need any studies. You don't need any books. You just, we got it. We got Tony. And Tony says, and there's been a lot of Tony says talk. I want to wrap up by asking you about uh, the premise of parental power. I've been taken aback in the past three years covering this issue 
the number of people, uh, some in teachers unions, some elected officials, some just you know outspoken activists who say straight up, no, we can't trust parents. Parents don't know what they're doing. Educators go to college. They get degrees in early childhood education. You're just some knucklehead who had a baby. What, what do you know? And uh, it's a, uh, you know, it's a rising tide of commentary from people, particularly in these fights over school boards, et cetera. So um, what, what's your message to people who say parents aren't experts, they're just parents, and they should defer to the experts? Well, again, I would point to the data. So when you have districts like Oakland that have 18% proficiency in reading, um, educators that get us to 18% proficiency in, re in reading, I wouldn't call them experts. <laughs> only. So again, we trust the data. Um, you know, just because you're a parent does not mean you do not have a working brain in your head. You know, I, I've talked to parents across the country, people who have graduated from Harvard Law, who get dressed down by a 23-year-old sure. teacher who <laughs> basically assumes that they have no life experience and, and basically uh, can't formulate their right. own sentences because they, they happen to have had a child. You know, we really need to disrupt this notion that um, parents do not have a vested interest in the success of our children in the system. And frankly, parents are actually also former students. We have a lot of experience in the system, having right. lived experience about what goes well and what does not. And so when we show up, we have an expectation that we're going to be treated with dignity and respect because, frankly, we're the second most important stakeholder in all of this. Uh, our first most important being our children. Right. So you should expect us. Um, and we have the expectation that we are going to be treated with respect. Um, not only are we important stakeholders, we're also constituents and we will hold people's feet to the fire. Um, and if we haven't taught you as much in the past three years, watch what we do in the next five. Listen, Carol Rodriguez, it's a pleasure to speak to you. I'm so surprised because I heard from the DOJ that you're a terrorist. And so I, I, was, a, you know, I, was, <laughs> I was a little nervous. Well, I haven't threatened <laughs> to kill anybody today. So. Well, it's early, you know, so we got lots of time there for it. Carol Rodriguez with the National Parents Union. How can people get a hold of you and your organization? Uh, you can find us online at www.nationalparentsunion.org. We're on Facebook, every social media channel, but most people find us on TikTok. So check us out. I love your news page, by the way. We uh, uh, cheat and use your newsroom for leads on stories. You have a really great collection of information, stories across the country about Watch individual parents poll. and groups. Our poll is coming out again. We've got oh. a poll, not just of parents, but also parents as registered voters coming up this month and next. So lots to come on this. Thanks so much for your time. We appreciate it. Bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.